0: All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bowl and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at MoNews. News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bowl and Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you, and it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONews over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONews for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. Hey, everyone. It is Wednesday, October 5th. I'm Moshe Wanunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to there are a number of headlines we are watching on this Wednesday. The ongoing drama between Twitter and Elon Musk continues. It now appears, we learned on Tuesday, that Elon wants in again. He wants to buy Twitter again for $44 billion. After being in, being out, he's in again. I'll tell you more about that. Ukraine continues to make progress against Russia, taking back some more territory in the South. It comes as we learned how many Russian men have left the country in just the last two weeks. Spoiler alert, it's a lot. We'll also tell you about why Poland is now officially escalating Germany for more than a trillion dollars in World War II reparations more than 80 years later. Here at home, we're watching the new accusations against Herschel Walker. He is running for Senate in Georgia. And I'll tell you what his son is saying about him. And we'll tell you about a story, a growing trend in Japan, where a number of apartments smaller than 100 square feet are becoming the new phenomenon in Tokyo. I'll tell you what that's all about. A reminder here as we get started to follow or subscribe to the show on whatever app you're listening to us on so you don't miss a single episode and leave us a review. Every review makes a difference and I would be so grateful if you left me one today. Okay, let's get started here with the Elon Musk Twitter drama. It is a surprise move that adds yet another twist to this months long drama we've all been watching, all couple hundred million of us on Twitter, Silicon Valley, Wall Street, Washington, it now appears that Elon wants in again and to own Twitter at the full asking price of $44 billion. This could bring an end to that acrimonious legal fight between the billionaire, the world's richest man, and the social media company. This arrangement would allow Musk to acquire Twitter at $54.20 per share. Get it? $54.20, dollars uh, Elon even makes jokes with his huge purchases, uh, and could bring about an end to this on-again, off-again, on-again, off-again situation. Let's recap here. Musk has a huge Twitter following and has taken an interest in the platform. Back in the spring, he said, I'm not going to buy the company, but let me just buy like a small share of the company and maybe sit on your board. Twitter initially... Uh, was thrown back by it and said, okay. Then began the speculation, are you going to buy the whole company? Finally, Musk says, yeah, maybe I will buy the whole company. And he makes his big offer in March into April. Twitter initially flinches at it, but then says, you know what? We're not going to get a better deal than this. Let's say yes. So Elon makes the offer to buy Twitter. Twitter says yes. Then within a few weeks, Elon starts to develop cold feet so to speak, and starts to pull back throughout the spring and summer saying, "Mm, I don't know how I feel about this. I think Twitter lied to me. I think there's a bunch of bots. Uh, I'm trying to get out of this deal. Then officially pulls out of the deal over the summer. Twitter says, not so quickly. We're going to make you buy us or make you pay a major penalty. And so they decided to then take him to court. There's a court in Delaware that deals with these sorts of things. and says, we're going to sue you and make you buy us. Musk says, no way. I'm going to win this battle. Fast forward to this week where Musk says, you know what? I will buy you guys. It could be a legal maneuver. It could have been because he realized he was going to lose the case. So he has gone back to his initial offer. So far, Twitter has yet to accept the deal. They have to figure out, Twitter does, whether this is just a negotiating tactic or whether he's serious this time, like really serious, like actually wants to buy them. Twitter will likely insist here on broader protections from that court in Delaware where they're suing him to ensure that Musk actually follows through with his plan This time, a deal, if they can have one, would allow both sides to avoid what would have been a very messy public trial. It would have featured testimony from Musk, senior Twitter executives, potentially leaked data uh, or, you know, just data that the judge demanded from Twitter. Coincidentally, this week, Musk was scheduled to be deposed on Thursday and Friday in Texas, according to the legal filing. So not a total surprise here that he decided to go ahead and say he was going to buy Twitter. By the way, background here, since we haven't checked in on that story in a while, Twitter is dealing with growth issues, has been dealing with them for a while. And while we talk a lot about them, a lot of uh, influential people, including the former president, major executives, world leaders use the platform, Twitter really pales in comparison to Facebook, to Instagram, uh, even to Snapchat, uh, and of course TikTok. And they've been trying to find tactics for years to continue to grow their user base beyond a couple hundred million. Some of these other social media companies I talked about have users in the billions. And so Elon has said, I'm going to save Twitter. At least he said he was. Then he said, I'm not going to buy Twitter. And now he says, he's going to buy Twitter again. So we're going to keep watching this drama as it unfolds. It's quite a uh, real life soap opera. Okay, now to the latest on Hurricane Ian. It has been a week Since the hurricane, nearly a Category 5 made landfall one of the most destructive hurricanes in American history, the president and the first lady, Jill Biden, are scheduled to tour southwest Florida today to see firsthand the damage that was wreaked by the storm. It comes as nearly half a million Floridians continue to not have power more than a week after the storm. There are some areas that might not see power for months because of how much the infrastructure was obliterated by the storm. Rescue crews continue to go door to door in search of survivors. They are reporting, unfortunately, more deaths as residents grapple with the losses. As of Tuesday, more than 100 people have been reported killed by the hurricane. 55 of them in Lee County. That was really the epicenter of the storm, the uh, Fort Myers, Cape Coral, Sanibel Island area. and also claimed lives at least four people in North Carolina. Unfortunately, if you talk to some local officials, they fear that the death toll here could be in the hundreds. Most of the deaths from the hurricane were as a result of drowning because of that record high storm surge as well as flooding. Though some have been blamed on harsh consequences of the aftermath of the storm, including the loss of power. There was unfortunately an elderly couple who died after power to their oxygen machine shut off. The job is still pretty tough for rescue workers and first responders in certain areas who continue to need to fly in to certain areas because roads are still blocked uh, with flood levels still pretty high. In some cases, river levels continue to rise through Monday of this week, Homes and streets in many places are still inundated. It may be a week or two for some areas for waters to completely recede. The issue in Florida is that the ground is so saturated, this is before Hurricane Ian, so it's challenging for these flood waters to finally recede and go into the uh, soil. One sheriff who was interviewed by CNN on Tuesday said he's concerned for these rescue workers who've been working 24/7 uncovering bodies in destroyed homes, really worried about burnout. He said at a morning press conference I was watching on Tuesday, some are working more than 12 hours 18-hour shifts um, and they don't get to go home to their families. The sheriff did say that he's grateful to the National Guard and federal personnel as well as volunteers who are easing the burden on rescue workers. Just across the border in Georgia, we're watching a political story where things are not so peachy for Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker. With just over 30 days until Election Day, the former NFL player turned Republican, political figure, and Senate candidate endorsed by former President Trump is facing bombshell accusations that he paid for an abortion for a former girlfriend. That comes as he is in a close fight with the incumbent, that's Raphael Warnock, a Democrat, for one of the most high-stakes Senate seats. Remember, the Senate is 50-50, so every seat makes a difference for which party controls the chamber come january. So back to the controversy here a former girlfriend told the publication the Daily Beast that Walker who's running on a very pro-life platform in fact he says there should be no exceptions for abortion paid for her abortion back in 2009. The woman who's remaining anonymous told the Daily Beast that Walker urged her to have an abortion after they conceived a child while they were dating he was unmarried at the time. She said Walker reimbursed her for it and she has backed up her claims with receipts from the clinic, a $700 check signed by Walker and a get well card that Walker sent her. Walker was on Fox News on Monday night saying, he writes checks to lots of people and he sends get well cards to lots of people. And he is denying this specific allegation, calling it a flat out lie that he paid for her abortion. He says it's a desperate attempt by Democrats to salvage the Senate seat. And he says he's gonna sue the Daily Beast, that's the publication for what he calls a defamatory lie. His campaign tells reporters that they are full speed ahead saying that his denials have actually inspired more donations to the campaign From supporters. He's also getting a renewed endorsement from former President Trump, who put him up for this seat, really helped push him across the finish line uh, through the Republican primary to become the nominee in Georgia. Trump says he believes everything Walker is saying, and he says that Walker should still be the next senator from Georgia. But that's not the only issue Walker is facing. It turns out Walker's son, his name is Christian, has responded to this denial and the overall story on Twitter, and things are pretty ugly. Here's a bit of what Christian tweeted about his father. He wrote, quote, I know my mom and I would really appreciate if my father Herschel Walker stopped lying and making a mockery of us. You're not a family man when you left us to bang a bunch of women, threatened to kill us, and had us move over six times in six months running from your violence. This was just one of several tweets Christian put out on Monday. Herschel responded with just a simple, I love my son. But this part of the story actually concerned a whole bunch of Republican analysts and operatives who felt that while Herschel might be able to survive accusations of hypocrisy on abortion, it turns out that Herschel Walker is not the only Republican candidate who was once pro-choice, who uh, became pro-life. In this case, you have accusations from a son about violence, and worse about lying. And so it remains to be seen how Georgia voters react here. As I was saying earlier, the Senate race is crucial. It is a 50-50, 50 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans currently in the Senate. About a third of the Senate seats are currently up this November, and every seat matters. And Republicans are dealing with a few issues in regards to candidates, like Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, um, like a candidate they have in Arizona, and here in Georgia, where while Republicans do look much more likely to be able to take the House chamber Uh, this November, the Senate is really going to come down to the wire. We're continuing here at Mo News to stay on top of the war in Ukraine. That's as the war is in its eighth month. I think it's really important that we stay on top of these headlines. And here's the latest from Ukraine on Tuesday. Troops there accelerated their military advances on two fronts. Remember, I've been telling you that there's the Eastern Front and the Southern Front. On the Southern Front on Tuesday, Ukraine continued to make progress against the Russian forces in an area called Kherson in the south. The gains show that Ukraine continues to recapture occupied territory. This is territory, by the way, that last week, Russia officially, threw a referendum of sorts said is officially annexed and officially part of Russia. Well, Ukraine is not letting uh, that nonsense get in the way of their forces and they continue to take back key areas in the South now after making progress last week in the East. Ukrainian forces are pushing dozens of miles into the Southern Kherson region, liberating towns and villages, Uh, really uh, incredible scenes of joyful residents who spent months under Russian occupation, regaining control of Kherson. This is a rich agricultural region is critical for Ukraine. The capital is a key port where the river flows into the Black Sea, is key for the economy of the country. And its capital, it was also the first significant city that was captured by Russia at the start of the invasion back in February its loss would be a severe setback for Russia militarily, but also politically humiliating for Putin. There are reports actually via Western military sources that the Russian military has told Putin, hey, we need to pull back here. And Putin says, under no circumstances are you pulling back, even uh, if you think it's the right thing. I need you to stand your ground. Well, it turns out uh, the Russian military is not able to stand its ground, and the Ukrainians are making progress. This all comes, by the way, as Russia's recruitment and draft is ongoing. They announced in the last day that they have conscripted 200,000 Russian men who are currently undergoing a couple weeks of training before they're sent To the front lines in Ukraine, Russia sorely needs backup as they continue to lose uh, progress and lose territory in Ukraine. And so they've conscripted these 200,000 or so men on the way to 300,000. They're going to give them two weeks of training and then send them off to the front lines. But this has been hugely controversial, leading to protests, etc. And while the Russians have announced that they've conscripted 200,000 men, we learned on Tuesday that double that amount, 400,000. 400,000 Russian men have left the country, 200,000 alone just to Kazakhstan. This is coming to us from bordering countries who have released numbers in the last couple days about how many Russian men have entered their countries. This number could actually be upwards of half a million because this doesn't account for all countries, but at least some key countries alone, it's adding up to at least 400,000 Russians have left the country to avoid joining Putin's military force. But I want to stay abroad here for a second because there's another story we're watching. Poland made an official ask on Monday for World War II reparations from Germany in the amount of $1.3 trillion. A reminder that the Nazis invaded Poland, killed more than 5 million Polish people, really destroyed the country during World War II. And more than 80 years later, the Polish government says, we want some reparations for that. The ruling party in Poland is using this for political purposes, which I will explain in a second, but they officially say that the payment of reparations from Germany would strengthen bilateral relations and close a painful chapter from the past. Now, the bottom line here is that Germany says, we are done paying reparations. In fact, they point to a 1953 declaration by Poland's government at the time that Poland would not make any further claims against Germany. Germany argues that they've paid compensation to the East And to the West, back in the years after World War II, uh, they paid a whole bunch of reparations, including handing over territory to Poland as part of that compensation. Germany wrote a big check at the time to the Soviet Union. The Soviets had controlled all of Eastern Europe after World War II. And ultimately, the Soviets decided how to apportion out those reparations back then. That then led to this 1953 declaration by Poland's then communist government saying, we're done here. We're good. We have no further claims against Germany. By the way, for their part, the Germans also paid uh, reparations to Israel, to Yugoslavia. They have a separate reparations fund for survivors and families of victims of the Holocaust. So that was during the Cold War. Finally, in 1990, when East Germany and West Germany were reunited, there was a final agreement between the Soviets, the US, the UK, France, and Germany. At that time, Germany said basically the checkbook is closed. And since then, the Germans have basically said, we're ready to move on. So what's going on here then? Well, in Poland, it is currently led by a political party called the Law and Justice Party. Uh, It is a very much a populist national party. They've been in power since 2015, and they view an opportunity here for politics to win over some Polish voters by going after some of Poland's historical enemies, specifically the Russians, and in this case, the Germans. Previous campaigns by this Law and Justice Party have focused on the alleged threats of Muslim migrants queer and trans people, uh, the European Union technocrats in Brussels, and others that they say are bent on corrupting Polish Moors. So to win next year's election, there are elections coming up in Poland again. This Law and Justice Party has decided to roll out effectively the ugly German strategy. They're actually claiming that their uh, competing opponents in Polish politics are there to ensure German domination of Poland, and they're here to stand up for Poland against Germany. Hence, this call for $1.3 trillion in World War II reparations. The leader of the Law and Justice Party, his name is Yaroslav Kaczynski. He talks of German-Russian plans to rule over Europe, of the EU becoming the fourth German Reich. This is the rhetoric they're using. And so he often says that his uh, opposition party that he's running against Next year, they want to make Poland an appendage of Germany, and here he is gonna stand up against the Germans. The bottom line here is that his party, for their own domestic political purposes, is asking for $1.3 trillion from the Germans. And the Germans are like, yeah, that's that's not really gonna happen. Back here in the US, a little travel news, and this is welcome news for the hardworking flight attendants out there. Airlines will now officially be required to give flight attendants at least 10 hours off-duty between shifts. That is one more hour than the current rule. This was all announced by the FAA on Tuesday. The acting FAA administrator said that the extra hour of rest is really meaningful and would contribute to safety on our nation's airlines. The rule goes into effect in 30 days. Airlines have 90 days to comply. Congress directed the FAA back in 2018 to increase the rest requirement for flight attendants, and eliminate a provision that lets crews work with less rest under some circumstances. Current federal rules allow flight attendants to work up to 14 hours in a day and get nine hours of rest. This increases things to 10 hours of rest. This has been a huge fight for years for the uh, flight attendants union. They've been fighting for this. They thought they made progress a couple of years ago. It was delayed by the FAA, so they were very happy to hear this news. Officials from that union have pointed to recent incidents uh, involving unruly passengers really skyrocketing in the last year. And that demonstrates the need to really give cabin crews more rest between shifts to increase airline safety as they're dealing with all these unpleasant passengers. Those numbers are slightly down since the mask rules have gone down, but still an issue for our flight attendants. And I wanna throw one more fact at you that uh, ensures that you might have a little more patience for your flight attendants next time you fly, in addition to all these unruly passengers they have to deal with. It turns out, and I learned this recently, that most airlines don't pay flight attendants during the time that passengers are boarding. That officially they start getting paid when that door is shut, and until the door opens again. The time in between, they're not paid for. Though Delta Airlines is one airline that's trying to make a change here. Over the summer, they became one of the first to actually pay flight attendants for the time they spent on the plane, Uh, but the door is still open. We'll see if other airlines adopt that over time. Okay, I'm continuing to watch all the Trump legal news. We saw a headline come out late Tuesday that lawyers for the former president are asking now the Supreme Court to get involved in the classified records investigation. So why are they going all the way to the US Supreme Court? Well, a quick recap here, a panel from a US appeals court that falls right under the Supreme Court ordered this month that the Justice Department is able to review materials that were seized from Mar-a-Lago in their ongoing criminal investigation. This is the larger case we've all been watching in regards to the mishandling of national security secrets and what was actually in Mar-a-Lago. The Trump team has been arguing that these documents belong to the former president and should not have been taken by the FBI. Well, the appeals court panel, this was a three judge panel, actually made up of two Trump appointees and one Obama appointee, ruled that the Justice Department can review some of those materials that were seized from his residence. They rejected Trump's argument that the classified documents that have top secret markings all over them are his property. They said, actually, they are the government's property and they are allowed to use this as part of their investigation. That appeals court, by the way, the two Trump judges and the one Obama judge also ruled against Trump on another front. And so the Trump lawyers are asking the Supreme Court to get involved, saying the Justice Department should not be able to review anything right now. They wanted to go through an independent special master. We'll see in the coming days and weeks if the Supreme Court has any interest in dealing with the situation. A reminder here that the Justice Department has launched its high stakes investigation to determine if former President Trump or any of his advisors mishandled national security secrets. They see several hundred documents on site, including a couple hundred that had uh, various markings, whether they were top secret, Classified, et cetera. There's been no evidence from the Trump team that he actually declassified these documents. Uh, there is typically a process, though he did say recently that he could just, by thinking about it, declassify things. There's no evidence that that is a thing that presidents can do. That said, this continues to go through a legal process here. And this is just one of these several legal cases and investigations the former president is facing. So there's this federal classified documents case. Then we're also watching the January 6th investigation into whether the president broke laws on January 6th. There's then a third case. This is a state criminal case out of Georgia in regards to whether the president and his team interfered with election counting. The fourth case we're watching is a New York civil case into his business and tax fraud. We uh, had news on that last week. And New York, in this case, is going after the Trump businesses on lying about uh, their values, et cetera. The fifth case we're watching is a New York criminal investigation. This is also into Trump's businesses. And then there are all the cases he has brought up on his own where he's on offense. I told you about one yesterday. His $475 million defamation allegation against CNN. And so the Trump legal teams stay busy here between the two federal investigations, the two state criminal investigations, the state civil investigation, and then his uh, CNN case and several others uh, that are we're currently watching in the court. So I will continue to try to monitor all of those for you. Okay, I want to end here in Japan where we sometimes see some novel trend stories. This story will make you feel that no matter how small you think your home is, It's probably a mansion to the homes I'm about to tell you about. So the New York Times has this story on the rise of 95 square foot apartments in Tokyo. Yes, you heard that right. 95 square feet. With its sky high property prices and the world's most populous metropolitan area, Tokyo has long been known for small accommodations. But this is yet a next level small accommodation. These 95 square foot apartments are known as three tatami rooms. That is based on how many standard Japanese floor mats tatamis could cover the living space. These are three tatami rooms. While the units are half the size of an average studio apartment in Tokyo, about 200 square feet, these are 95 square feet, they have 12 foot ceilings and an attic-like loft for sleeping. The New York Times says that some are pretty stylish, pretty new, and with some efficient arranging. I find this remarkable. It is possible to squeeze in a washing machine, a fridge, a sofa, a sofa, and a work desk inside these 95-square-foot apartments. Now, these actually aren't the cheapest apartments, but they're very trendy. The micro-apartments go for between $340 and $630 a month. $630 a month for a 95-square-foot apartment. Really remarkable. There's actually apartments you can find for cheaper, but these apartments have really risen up around trendy locations. If you've ever been to Tokyo or are familiar, this is the area around Shibuya or Harajuku. Really trendy areas with restaurants uh, where a lot of young people live, and they're very close to mini subway lines. The Times story goes on to say that over two-thirds of the building's residents are people in their 20s. In Japan, uh, the average uh, early 20-something earns between $17,000 and $20,000 a year, so they're able to pay for these really small apartments. There's a growing share of people in Tokyo who are living alone, making smaller spaces more desirable. Many of them are likely to eat all their meals out. Yeah, because you can't really a real meal in these 95 square foot apartments or they like to go with pre-made meals from convenience stores or groceries. Apparently, and I've seen some of these layouts, I'm going to link to them in the show notes, they're able to fit in a shower and a toilet in there, which is just, again, incredible. Though some say that they don't need the shower in the apartment, they use public showers. Anyway, for any of you complaining that your apartment is small, go check out uh, these micro apartments in Tokyo at some point. All right, I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. I'd love your feedback on how I'm doing. Email me over at podcast at mo.news. A reminder to follow or subscribe to the show on whatever app you're listening to us on. Every single follow makes a difference and ensures you don't miss a single episode. Also, would love if you could leave the show a review. Reviews help us continue to move up the rankings and continue to grow the podcast. A reminder to subscribe to the Mo News newsletter over at monews.bulletin.com. You can follow me on Instagram, where it all started, at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow.